0: This episode was co-produced with Geberdrüff Stiftung, which makes science effective by initiating impact-oriented innovation projects. This year, they're celebrating their 25th anniversary and are keen to highlight the impact their initial funding has had on Swiss entrepreneurs.
1: Everybody was telling me in Switzerland, you're crazy, don't do it. You know, all these kind of things. But ultimately, you have to believe in something. And I really believe in what we were doing with my co-founder, Nicolas Mermot.
0: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Selvin. Igor, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be with you today.
0: You are the former CEO, President and Chairman at Celexis a life science Geneva-based company. And currently, you're also the president of the Romandie Innovation Incubator called Fongit. You have a lot of different hats, and it's super impressive to see your resume and your journey. And that's exactly what we want to talk about today. I do want to start with your personal background. You got your PhD in biology from the University of Geneva in the 80s, and then went on to become an assistant professor but four years afterwards, you decided to start your own company. Why was that?
1: Okay, so I think I, from a historical perspective, I go back to my PhD, where I had the luck to uh, to be supervised by Robin Offord, an English guy who was teaching potent chemistry. And then I went to the UK, United Kingdom in Cambridge, did a postdoc with Sir Greg Winter, who got the Nobel Prize. And Greg was really heavily involved in biotech, so I think he he taught me maybe biotech is an interesting field. Then I came back to Switzerland, became assistant professor at the APFL, Polytechnical School in Lausanne, was thinking of independence. I was, you know, institution is a bit complex, especially if you have an independent character, and that's why uh, I pushed myself out and started Selexis.
0: Amazing. And where does that entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you have any role models or people in your family who inspired you to become an entrepreneur yourself?
1: I felt that being in an institution or in a university was a bit, for me, small. And I wanted to be an independent person that takes its own decision. And I think the major driver in my life was independence. That's why I left
0: and you were then also selected for the NETS program of the Gebert Ruf Stiftung, the foundation in 2002. How did that influence and shape your entrepreneurial career?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because Selexis was originally a spin-off of the University of Lausanne. So at that time, uh, uh, venture kick was named NETS. And it was already an, an initiative launched by Pascal Vonmont already at that time. and. Uh, the university decided that I should apply to this NETS prize. And I got it maybe a few months later after the application. And actually, I was a lucky man to get it because we were probably 15 or 17 entrepreneurs from the Swiss, all, all Switzerland. And what was really nice is I was bracket a young entrepreneur among other young entrepreneurs. And actually, we all face the same, the same issues. And what I liked was, Irrelevant of the domain or activity you are in, you face the same challenges. What is your product? What is your market? What is your customer? So basically it was really nice and we could keep really a strong relationship for at least 10 years with some of them because you know when you have issues you need to have people to you know to rely on. And that was a great, I think a great the greatest thing of, of the Nets.
0: Yeah, this, this peer group, you know, going through similar issues and helping each other. It's not only great to exchange on the topic, but to also know you're not alone. You're not the only one facing these challenges. That's already quite a different perspective sometimes, right?
1: And, and Yeah, and you have to place that in the context 20 years ago. 20 years ago, this, the entrepreneurship scene in Switzerland was very small. We were not that many. Today, it's much more competitive, So it was a really big difference between those two. And it was really nice to be with those guys, honestly. And at the end, we we got the celebration of the next prize during Expo 02, 02 in Neuchâtel, so that we had a really fun time.
0: Amazing. Perfect timing. So let's focus on your company's journey of Silexis. You founded it in 2001 and... For the first four years of Celexis, you actually continued to work as an assistant professor. You said it was a spin-off, of course. How was that working to split your time? Because I imagine these were probably quite some long days for you during that time.
1: Yeah. So basically I left the university very rapidly. I didn't stay at university, so I left in 2001. And at that time I was able to uh, to win another prize called the De Vigier Prize. And with the WGA prize I got in 2000, I was able to hire my first employee, who is still with Selexis at the moment. And, uh, that's, and, and that's where I met also private investors. And all in all at Selexis I was employee number three or four, but uh, all in all we raised uh, 800,000 for the entire life of Selexis. And for me, it was tough to raise money through venture capital rather than uh, friends and family. So I had to focus a company on developing its own product. And back at that time, life science was in, in its infancy. So they needed tools and technologies to actually produce drugs. And that's where we acted. And I'm really proud that basically we set up a new ways to produce, let's call biologics drugs. And we opened a field, Celexis opened really a field or a market called cell line development, which really puts us in a very successful uh, a trend. And, and that was a 20 years of great trends and great successes, I think.
0: Amazing. And, you know, when was it then for you the time to say you go all in on Celexis and say, hey, I, I fully focus all my time and energy on, on Celexis?
1: Yeah. So I from day one, I put all my energy in, even though I was not a former employee, so that means no salaries, but I put all my time in there. And at the end of the day, everybody, you know, back at that time, everybody was telling me in Switzerland, you're crazy, don't do it. You know, all these kind of things. But ultimately, you have to believe in something. And I really believe in what we were doing with my co-founder, Nicola Mermo, both with very different uh, CVs, or not CVs, but different trajectories. And I think we were really uh, 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 focused on developing the product. So I think that what happens and, and, and that was a really successful collaboration and successful entrepreneurship collaboration, I think.
0: And uh, talking about Nicolas, where did they actually meet each other and then decided to start the company together?
1: And, uh, so Nicolas and myself met at the University of Geneva because Nicolas is also from the University of Geneva. Then we lost track for about almost 10 years and then met again at the University of Lausanne. He was a prof. And then uh, I convinced him that we should use one of his IP at Selexis to use it, and he agreed to do that. Then we were able to start the company. And then Nicola was basically a collaborator of Selexis, really developing the hardcore, if I may say the hardcore science, while we were filing the patents. And that's where we really built a strong written Portfolio at Selexis with the help of Nikola and the institution.
0: Amazing. And what made you a, a great team? What was sort of the it factor that you decided, you know, after 10 years of not seeing each other, that it was a good idea to start a company together?
1: So Nikola is really a, a kind of scientist focused in science. So he, li- he really likes fundamental science. I'm more an outgoing person and I more function sometimes on gut feelings. So I'm more on the business side of science. And for me, it was not a big issue to travel the world and present what we were doing in a very positive way because I thought what we were doing was great. So I think that's what matters. At the end of the day is in such a collaboration, you have to define the roles and the roles were really clear from day one. And then I was the one that had to drive the business. Nicola was the one to really drive the science and the IP. And with that, we were very successful and very
0: successful. That sounds the, like the perfect combination with complementary skill sets that you both together brought to the table.
1: And, you know, what's, what's very important in such collaboration is respect towards each other. That was the most important factor.
0: Let's also talk about the market that Selexis is operating in. So when you started with the company, what did the development of biological drugs look like at the turn of the millennia?
1: So, basically, in, in, in 2000, uh, there was only one mainly one com- biotech company called Genentech. And Genentech was based in California, and it's the first company that really launched a biological drug in the form of monocular antibodies. And that antibody was really uh, basically curing women from breast cancers, or at least 30% of the women from breast cancers. The issue at that time was, how can we produce those drugs? because they didn't have the technology. So that's where Nicola and myself decided, okay, we have tools and technologies where we can improve. And we really changed the field of the way which people do produce those drugs. And we brought in all our new technologies in there and the industry took on and really took a lot of license from us. So we really licensed our technology for 20 years and we were one of the most successful company. And in the course of those 20 years, we constantly innovated. So we were having an innovation every two years. So it means that the industry stay focused on you and you improve the product. So that means the industry deals with you. And I think that was a, a, a unique fate of Celexis. And as I told you before, we created the world of uh, the market of cell line development. And that's a market we are really strong
0: in. And Despite, you know, being the innovator, I think, especially because you were the innovator and still are, you also faced some resistance, you know, to push something new into the market. So today you have partners in 42 countries or all over the world, basically. But at one point you had to get your first customers. How did that happen? Do you remember that from back in the early days?
1: I do. It was probably early 2002. Uh, I was at a conference in actually Munich and I met with Dr. Corrie Gorman, Cornelia Gorman. And she was one of the famous scientists that was able to, 20 years ago, or 20 years before, to actually express a foreign protein in the mammalian cell. And I met with that lady and I said, look, I want to do that. And she said, that's interesting. And she said, I organized for you a trip in the US in September. And that trip was actually consisting of visiting 15 companies in five days, so three per day. And at that time, I never, I've never done it. So 15, 15 companies and from her own uh, phone book. And then from there, I had three contracts, uh, three months later. So really she was instrumental in bringing me to the market as an innovative company from Switzerland. And we were able to really uh, do the best, let's say, sales pitch. Of the technologies, and we were contract. So Corey was really instrumental in the development of Selexis in the early days.
0: That's like the speed track to go to market. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: and it's part of speed track. It's part of luck, and it's part also of understanding when you meet somebody, uh, whether you know you you get along with first, and then can that person help you? And I was really I okay, kind of lucky to meet those guys. Yeah.
0: Sure, but I mean you also had to be open to take and create these opportunities, right? So
1: exactly, yeah. So, so it goes both ways,
0: always. Exactly. And what's interesting with with your model is that you partners do not does not only include small med tech startups, but also huge pharma players. So how do you actually create an offering that is suitable to both of them?
1: When you do biotech and life science, you do innovate. So you bring innovation to the marketplace. So basically who you have to convince are the scientists. And a scientist is the same as another scientist, whether it works for Pfizer or whether it works for a small startup. So our job was really to convince those scientists, oh, we need to try. So for us, what was the key was to basically bring data to the market and then go visit those scientists and convince them that it's new and unique. And for us, it was not relevant the science. So we, de- we dealt with Amgen, Pfizer, Genentech, all of them. And we had deals with all of them because we were able to convince the scientists inside the company. And those scientists were our main supporters in- to the business dev guys so that we could sign deals. So that's how it happened mainly, yeah.
0: Amazing. and. I also want to talk about some challenges or obstacles along the way. And the first one is, is one point that you already briefly mentioned is getting patented with your startup idea. So your idea was, of course, a spin-off. So you are very research-based and you had the, the research in the background. So that's probably the natural transition. But I still imagine getting patented is quite a journey and also quite a first challenge to solve. So first of all, How important was the patent for you from a business perspective? And how did you get it? Was that an easy or a challenging process?
1: That was both. I think uh, I learned the importance of patents when I was doing my postdoc in Cambridge with Greg Winter. And he taught me that any new discoveries in the lab should be patent protected. He told me, you know, Igor, if you want to do biotech, you have to protect all your ideas. And you have to be sure you don't talk about it. So that's where it came from. And I remember that Nicola, when I I arrived at the University of Lausanne, Nicola had a patent. And it took me four months to convince him that this patent should belong to Selexis and not to Unil. And and then I was able to acquire that patent. So that was the first basis. And from there on, we really filed, I think we had 150 family patents at Selexis. So we constantly filed patents along the way. And, you know, you don't file a patent to avoid people doing what you do, but you file a patent to keep your path open so that nobody can copy you in, and actually nobody can put a hurdle in front of your objectives. So that's the major uh, importance of a patent. And of course, then when you deal and you have deals, you, you of course, you're in a better position to do deals.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially on both ends, right? On not only the investors part where you have to make deals, but also with customers, I assume.
1: Absolutely. And from a customer perspective also, they feel more secure because they can look at the patent and they know that what you have is is innovative.
0: Exactly. And the process to get the patent is that something you said, it's both. It's easy, but it's also hard. What is the part that was easier than expected and which part was harder than expected?
1: The easy part is the filing. So it's not, it it initially is cheap and you can file patents. That's not an issue. What's difficult is to write a patent, especially to write the claims. And it's a chess game. So you have to write the, the, the claims of your patents like a chess game. And you have to be sure that all your pawns you have on your chess play are Placed at the right place, at the right place. So they are at the right place. Sorry. So I think that's very important. Then of course it costs money, so you need the company to have money, and usually uh, uh, your money goes into the patent first.
0: <laughs> that's a bit the chicken and egg problem, right? You need investors or money to finance that, but they want to see the patent to be more secure, and that's. Impossible, <laughs> But at
1: least I was able to buy or to acquire the patent from the University of Lausanne. So I was in a good position for the private investors initially. So that was good. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. And, you know, the, the patent, how did you, this process of your first patent that you had to acquire? You said four months of discussions. That's quite an intense period as well. How did you then finally convince your co-founder to bring it into the company?
1: Because initially, UNIL didn't want to give the patent away. They said, we have to do the deals with And I said, you're not able to do the deal because you're not focused, so you are a university. So it was long discussions. And at the end of the day, I said to Nicola, look, you need to talk to uh, the rector of university and tell him that they have a chance to do a company, so they should, they should license it to us or sell it to us. And ultimately, that was the way I was able to get it. And I got it, of course, against shares of the company, against some money to pay. But at least we were securing the first position of the company, which allowed us to actually build on top of it. So it was not easy. It was a long, long, long night of discussions, first with Nicolas, of course, to convince him of the company and of the patents, and then to convince university that they were doing uh, uh, really good in, 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 in selling it to us. And I think they did really good.
0: And that makes a lot of sense right now. Also, especially looking back with the success that you've had. But at the same time, you also want to make sure that you have the incentives, right, that you pay a little bit of money, but eventually you want to let them participate in the success of the patent and not pay too much upfront.
1: Exactly. And that's how we negotiated. And I think we we had a really good discussion at the end of the day. So that one matters. Yeah.
0: And with all these patent matters, did you get any external support from like specified lawyers or anything of that sort? Or were you able to do most of the parts on your own?
1: No, no, you have to have, you have to have two kinds of people. You have to have people that understand the process of patents. So when we have to file, at what time you have to protect and so on, and you have to have lawyers that are able to actually file it to the different authorities. And usually it's U.S. So we had U.S. lawyers to find the patent and we have a, a kind of uh, 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 somebody a ju- like a jurist that knows the process of it. And we had one in Switzerland who was really good, by the way. So, you know, if you have lots of patents, you know, you have process engaged and you have to pay duties to many countries and things like that. So you need somebody that is in charge of it. Yeah.
0: Perfect. I think that's a, a very important takeaway message for anyone thinking about filing a patent.
1: Yes, you have to. And what's good with the with the patent process is you can file what's called a provisional patent application, so that's cheaper, a few hundred bucks, and you have one year to convert it as a pct. And that's where it becomes expensive because you have to file in all the countries, and of course, filing in all the countries has translations, so it costs a lot. So, but you have to have the process in place yeah, and that's not easy. Yeah.
0: So after the patents, another challenge that you had to overcome was of course, clinical trials, and that's a whole nother level, right? That you also have to manage and to successfully go through. How was that for you with Selexis?
1: So for us, not that much, because remember we were developing tools and technologies. So what we were impacting is everything before clinical trials. So let's say the, the a company does produce a biological drug, but they have an issue in producing it. They come to us and we solve the issue and then they can go to the clinics. So for us, what was interesting was we make a deal with you. We, you use a little bit of our services, but then when you go to the clinics, you owe us something because we give you our IP. We put our IP in your hands so you have to owe us some milestone, what's called milestone royalties. So it's true that for each of the licensed deals we had, it took, it takes about 10 years before the drug goes to the market. So now Selexis is collecting from those deals we did in 2010, 2011, you know.
0: That sounds massive. That sounds like a very long-term game, but highly rewarding. But
1: it's a, it's a huge game. It's a huge game because at the end of the day, you know, if you collect the royalties, it's pure profit. So that's what matters. Yeah.
0: But at the same time, this then gives you the rise of a completely different challenge, right? The the cash flow management, basically. Because you do have a very long time. You said like 10 years or something until you can then really collect the cash from the deals you made. How do you keep the company alive and finance everything with just the 800,000 that you mentioned you raised in the whole lifetime of the company? That's very little.
1: It's very little. So how you keep it is simple is you say... You cannot implement our IP in your, in your shop because you don't have the resources or the quality to do it. So we'll do it for you. So you start with a service. And they come to you. They perform a service. And then once you've done the service, you give them the goods. It's called a sell line. You give them a sell line. And then they pay for the service. And then they have to pay to keep the sell line with commercial terms. So we were generating short-term cash with the services and then long-term revenue for the investors through the commercial deals. That's how we made it, yeah.
0: That's a really smart way of doing it because you basically de-risk, so you can finance the company's operation, but you have a huge upside. Exactly.
1: That's the idea. That was the idea. So that was a good idea, yes.
0: Talking about smart bets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a
1: really smart bet, absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: So one thing that I also want to talk about is you know, beyond running your own company, In 2007, you also joined the strategy board of VentureKick. So first of all, what was your motivation to serve on such a board?
1: In 2006 or 2007, Pascal called me and she said, look, Igor, uh, I really appreciated working with you. And I said, same for me. And she said, now I want to launch a new initiative from from NETS to VentureKick. And she explained it to me. I said, "That's a great idea." Then she said, "Don't you want to join the strategy board?" I said, "With pleasure," because at the end of the day, what's important is if you take from somebody, then you have to give back. And for me, it was a natural way to give back. And I, you know, I was—it was with great pleasure that I say yes to Pascal because I love to work with Pascal. She's so bright, but also uh, uh, what she did for Switzerland is amazing. So at the end of the day, uh, I was happy to be part of this initiative. I was happy to bring some new ideas in it, which they implemented. And I think uh, 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 what Venture Kick does for Switzerland is amazing.
0: I, I fully agree. And, you know, then having someone like you who built a business themselves to show where the problems are and where the right support is needed. That's a really powerful combination.
1: No, no, again, and, and, and I never saw this would work initially because I thought the foundation would be reluctant, but at the end of the day, she was able to convince them and from what she did to what now VentureKick does, it's amazing. Simply amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. And from, from your perspective, how do you see the role of foundations like Gerber in the Swiss ecosystem? They obviously have a very important part, but how do you see it personally? I think
1: uh, they should play even uh, a stronger role. So I think it's fun. Switzerland is small, but it's very competitive today. And I think what they do is these initiatives allow companies or entrepreneurs to get money, more money than expected. And, and this means that there is more potential. And what's good we do in Switzerland is when we combine the potential of getting money through foundations, such as Gebberdorf, Venture Kick, And then you also can have interested incubators, such as Fongit, for example, in Geneva or in Zurich or in Basel. Then you bring to the companies the potential to get money, the potential to get education in all the administration, all the financial issues you face in a company, because that's not, not easy on the legal part. I think you have a winning combination. And I hope that foundations will continue to feed venture kick in the future because because that's going to be a unique initiative but also venture kick will generate money because you know of the companies they founded so i think right. it's a good combination yeah
0: that's also a very long term bet right there
1: but it's a good bet yeah.
0: exactly and then if we go back to your career and your journey at silexis in 2017 something magically happened you became part of the jsr life science group Is that then also, you know, you had the success, you built the company and then there was this acquisition slash investment, right? And was that then also for you the moment to say, Hey, I leave, I'm I'm telling goodbye.
1: So, um, we asked when, you know, in 2016, we asked ourselves, we can go further and how do we grow the company? There are different ways to grow the company. And at that time, we were approached by one company that wanted to acquire us. So we said, okay, if a company wants to acquire us, it goes into the right direction. So then GSR won the competition and they acquired us. And when you're acquired by a big company, things change completely. Because you go from a company you started, a company you built, a company where you make your decisions to a company that when you don't say anything. So in 2020, I left the company because it was the time to to leave the company. And I think we, you know, I started Selexis with one person. Today, uh, Selexis with GSR, there are about 230 people there. So I think they will build a big CMO, CDMO, it's good for the Canton de Genève. But I think what matters is, is we've created something that's gonna go like a train. They have the ride. They probably will not innovate as much, but at least uh, they will have great job space there. So I think that's that's what's good. Yeah.
0: And before we talked about the long-term bet, right? So then leaving Selexis eventually, as you then did in, in 2021, was that also a bit, you know, sad? Because the big payout or the, the compounding interest effect is just kicking in. You basically left before the best times were yet to come. It's... Um... Um, It's
1: always complicated to be acquired, to be honest with you. Because it's like raising a kid. Uh, You raise a kid and when he's 18, he leaves the house. And it's tough when the kids leave the house. And I think it was the same with sexist. It, It was much more complicated for me than I expected, leaving sexist, but it was a time. And also, I had two opportunities at the end in 2021. The first one was, of course, Fongit why I took the presidency of fungi But the second one was I was approached by other investors that asked me uh, to start a new company, which I did. And and it will be uh, on in two months. And I raised 45 million to start a new company. So I think it's uh, it's 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 also an interesting prospect because I'm an entrepreneur. So if I'm getting challenged on, can you start a new company? I always, always say yes,
0: which I did. Of course, of course. <laughs> And you could also argue that the offer that you got was just too good to turn down. It was, it was
1: two things. The offer was really good to turn it down for Selexis, That's one thing. But I liked the vision GSR had with Selexis. That vision didn't implement well or at the speed I wanted. So that's why I left. Because, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you work with a spin. In a big company, that spin is really much, much, much smaller, So, so or actually it's lower. So, so the idea was, uh, you know, I'd rather do it my own way. So that's why I left, but that's the main issue when you acquire, yeah.
0: A real entrepreneur at heart, through and through, absolutely. <laughs> and then one thing that Pascal told me uh, from Gebertrief is that she really liked and, and was also very, like, you know, positively surprised is that immediately after you made the exit, you basically called her and you started to give back to the ecosystem by becoming a donator of VentureKick. Why is that so important that we have these cycles of having successful exits, but then also money flowing back into the ecosystem to the next generation?
1: Because I think it's fair, you know, uh, uh, when I I When I joined the the advisory board of VentureKick, kick, uh, the initial venture kick was we donate, but then you have you you eventually you promise or you pledge to give money back if everything is okay. And I observed that a lot of companies didn't give the money back. and that's why the system changed. But, but, and I think that was unfair. And from my side, I thought I need to participate because I had so much success with Selexis. So for me, it was important that I could give back, and that's why I decided to become a donator for Venture and that was fine for me. I liked it actually.
0: But you know, for the ecosystem, this is a crucial part, right? That we not only have exits, but that also that money is flowing back. And I said, yeah, exactly. And I
1: said to Pascal, she should make more publicity about it, that she has entrepreneurs from Venture King giving back money, because I think she should have more of these entrepreneurs giving back money.
0: I think 100% because there is a lot of potential in Switzerland. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. One thing that also sort of stuck out when we look at your career is that you always have these cycles of change, not only from an innovation perspective, but also from a career perspective. And you sort of seem to exactly know how to let go, although it might not be easy right? to let go, but you can let go and you move on to the next thing. So my question here is, how do you know or realize when it's time to let go and move on to something else as you did in 2021?
1: Uh, I think you understand when it's time to let go when you observe that if you propose ideas and innovation and nobody understands, then you start thinking it's time to go. That's The, first. the second one is when you implement new things, and it takes so much time to start doing things, then it's time to go. And I think one of the issues of the big companies today, of the, of the large companies, is how can they survive the world of innovation by not innovating? And I think that's going to be an issue of the big companies, but we'll see. But I think that's the issue. And at the end of the day, if we don't innovate in life science or in biotech, you die. So big companies innovate by acquiring others, but maybe others will be less acquirable in the future. So that will be interesting how things are moving. But that's why you have to think, you know, from yourself, I can't do it anymore. I have to do something else.
0: Would you say you also feel that it's also like a gut feeling or a strong feeling that you feel within yourself?
1: It's it's a gut feeling because you observe. And you observe that the hierarchy is, is, is put in place and the hierarchy is... Is there not to innovate, is there to actually be conservative. And that's where it's time for you. You know, the guts tell you bye bye. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And if you personally look back at the 20 years of building your own company, Selexis, what are some of your favorite memories and proudest achievements of these two decades?
1: My proudest achievement is the name of Selexis was renowned worldwide. So I traveled all the world with, with that. And I think it became a really good name. Uh, uh, um, uh, and I think I'm really proud of that. The second thing I'm proud of is basically with, with 15 people or less, we were able to build a, a multimillion company, dollars company. And I think that's the beauty of it. And, and at the end of the day, you don't need huge resources, but you need people that think ahead and that are innovative. That's what matters, yeah.
0: Amazing. And nowadays, you already mentioned you're active as a board member, as the president of Fonggit, the Romandie incubator. What is your focus there? Why was it important to, you know, still be part of Fonggit after your exit?
1: So um, back in 2000, when I started as Selexis, helped me to start the company. So they incubated me in Geneva. So I moved from Lausanne to Geneva. And then when last year, the president of Fonggit said, I will retire and I would like you to take over... I couldn't say no. I said, I think it's about time. Maybe I can implement at Fongit some new ideas of incubating companies, which I'm trying to. And I think it was a great challenge for me. It was because, again, it's give back to what you, I got things from them. So I think it's time to give back. And at the same time, I was approached to this new company. So I have two jobs at the moment. And it's tough, but it's fun.
0: Fantastic. So giving back is one part, how your future will look like, but you also teased before you're starting a new company. So what is your future looking like with that new company? What will you do? Because I started again with Nicola.
1: So we co-founded that company and we will do a bit of the same as we did before, but for cell therapy and gene therapy. So we will be active in different fields because those fields are needed these days to treat people. And we believe that we will have new technologies in two or three years that will really help patients to be cured of really bad diseases. So that's what we do
0: now. Amazing. Never change a winning team, right? Exactly. exactly. (laughs) That's what they teach in football, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So Igor, to wrap up today's conversation, we also have some rapid fire questions prepared for you. So I give you short questions and you have to answer in one sentence. Let's go. Yeah. Why start a company as opposed to not starting it? Independence. Ah, I like that. What was the best lesson entrepreneurship has taught you?
1: Uh, focus on your product and your market.
0: Yeah, nice one. Do you have any career regrets? None. Great. And how often do you feel the urge to move on to something new or to change something?
1: Dependent on my guts.
0: Yeah. And the last one for you today, what are you not willing to give up?
1: Independence.
0: Yeah, I see. This is really the red pattern across your, your career, basically. It's exactly that. Yes, absolutely. Would, would yeah? Would you say it's also fair to like say a synonym for freedom? Independence equals freedom?
1: Exactly. It's the freedom to choose. Is the freedom to live, and that's what's important for me. And uh, that's why I want to talk, talk, you know, teach to everybody, become independent because you have to make choices. If it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. But it's on your, your own choice. You know, that's what matters. Yeah.
0: That, Igor. That's a perfect way to end the conversation today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Lots of success and all the best for the future. And thank you for giving back. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.